Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. We continue with the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In this message, Jesus grants his disciples wisdom for discerning spiritual authority. Before we get to our text, though, I have a question. If you only had access to one food item all day, what would it be? Peanut butter. Peanut butter. How, donuts. That's my favorite. Chocolate. You can only eat this all day. That's it. There's nothing else. Well, for me, I think it would be banana. I want to stay safe so I could get the digestion and nutrients I need. But we're going to be talking about food today and our topic. So uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. This is the written word. May we now encounter the living word. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive your seed of righteousness. We want to intimately know you. Teach us your word and we shall be satisfied. We acknowledge that you are our king and you indeed reign. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's take a hike up the mountain. On this mountain are three waypoints. A waypoint is a stopping point, right, where you kind of get a refresher and keep going. But since it's raining, let's get in a Jeep. And let's put our seatbelts on, because we're going to be exploring some, some spiritual uh, truth today. These three waypoints compose of good Bible study. The first waypoint is observation. The second waypoint is interpretation. And finally, the third waypoint is application. So I'm gonna, we're going to go through this, this uh, study with those three waypoints. So put on your seatbelt. First, I want to look at the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, I've broken down into five, five different parts. Some say it's three. I, I look at five. And uh, before we look at those five, though, I want to talk about just coming into Matthew and the, actually the context of Jesus and who he is in, in Matthew. In Matthew, he's presented from the very beginning as the Messiah, the Messiah King. We see that in his genealogy at the beginning. And also, he's seen as Emmanuel, God with us. He's depicted as a new Israel who goes to Egypt. And then finally, he's coronated for his ministry through baptism and the temptation in the wilderness. And then he chooses his first disciples. And then he comes right into Sermon on the Mount. The first part of the sermon depicts kingdom character and function. That includes the Beatitudes, poor in spirit, all the way to who we are as salt of the earth and light of the world. The second part is Jesus' fulfillment and a surpassing righteousness. Remember, he told the disciples, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and scribes. And then in the middle section is practicing righteousness and the priority of the kingdom. 
In that section, Jesus talks about the three spiritual disciplines of prayer, giving, and fasting. And you see this word over and over, righteousness. That righteousness is what the priority in the kingdom is. And, and then the fourth section is relating to and discerning others. Judge not, cast not your pearls before swine. And now this section uh, where we have beware of the false prophets. And then finally, the capstone which is coming up is the wise builder and the foolish builder where Jesus declares that his word has all authority and we must act on it. So last week was enter through the narrow gate. Do you remember that? Enter through the narrow gate? Well, this marks a series of something Jesus loves to do, which is couplets. These couplets compare and contrast. We have the narrow gate, the wide gate. We have, um, in, this, in this text today, the good tree and the bad tree. And then you'll find the wise builder and the foolish builder. And later on, you'll see things like sheep and goats. Jesus loves to teach this way, and he used hyperbole. Hyperbole means that he exaggerates to prove a point. I don't think any of us want to poke our eyes out, right? But he's saying, poke your eyes out if it causes you to sin. He gets the attention of everybody. And here he's speaking to his disciples and probably the crowd up on a mountain and giving this sermon. We know the, the, the capstone of this sermon is that Jesus is worthy to be, obey, be trusted and obeyed. However, this narrow gate that we looked at last week requires caution and discernment. So that's the context. We'll also be looking at the passage right after this uh, where Jesus talks about uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, because that, that brings us into the context of how I interpret this. But for now, let's look at this passage. I want to ask some questions and just think what those answers would be. First, who are Jesus beware? Who are they to beware? He's talking to his disciples. He says, beware who? False prophets, right? How does Jesus describe the false prophets? He describes them as sheep on the outside and ravenous wolves on the inside. How, does, how will Jesus' followers know whether one is false prophet by their fruits? What are not gathered from thorn bushes or thistles? The good ones are that Jesus refers to grapes and figs, a staple in that culture. And what does every good tree bear? Good fruit. What can a good tree not do? Bear good fruit. What happens to every tree that does not bear good fruit? It's cut down and thrown in the fire. And finally, what phrase does Jesus repeat or emphasize in this section? It's happening twice. You will know them by their fruits. In sum, this observation section is watch out for spiritual authority like trees there, you got to discern their fruit, like trees. So this leads to the second waypoint, which is interpretation. In other words, what does God mean by this? And now we pull from the context. Well, first, Jesus refers to false prophets. So what is a prophet? Well, in some, I would say that we in America, American Christianity, we focus so much on uh, foretelling the future, and that's really not the, the primary um, task of a prophet. A prophet is one who's a mouthpiece for the Lord, and they're a truth teller. Some would say that they're covenant enforcers. They're referring back to God's covenant with his people. And they're doing this on behalf of God. 
And Jesus is saying, these are false prophets. In other words, they're not legitimate authority. So one of the uh, phrases that's in our text is in verse 15, the middle part, who come to you, who come to you. That could mean that these false prophets are outside the community that Matthew's writing to. So they're outside the community, and they come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing, what could that mean? Well, in context, if you look down at verse 20, let's see, 20, I'm looking at 20, 22, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? They had charismatic gifts that they were using. And the implication is that these who come to you are false prophets, and on the outside, they're using charismatic gifts. They're also saying that we're doing this in your name, in Jesus' name. So they're misusing Jesus' name. I find a connection to Jesus in the Old Testament since he was a Jew, and the Old Testament, uh, or the Jews would know the Old Testament intimately. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 27 through 28, it says, Her princes, referring to the prophets, false prophets, her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. So Jesus is referring back to something in the Old Testament with wolves, dishonest gain. By the way, that passage is, who will stand in the gap for me? If you read a few more verses, it says, who will stand in the gap for me? And God is calling for leaders to step forward who are authentic. So Ezekiel 22 describes the damage that prophets did, and he also describes whitewash. Whitewash, I looked that up, it has to do with just painting your fence white, looking good on the outside, but it just gets torn down. It's not founded, it's not founded or strong. These deeds appear harmless, but they use Christ's name for self-service. That's their end game, using Christ's name like magic for my end game. The word that comes to mind is incongruence. They look one way on the outside, but on the inward, they're doing things for selfish gain. They're compartmentalized. We have these like boxes that don't know what, what the other box is doing. And we box and isolate things. And we keep those boxes separated in our lives. So we live what's called a double life. We're predatory. We have deception. We are, these false prophets are unhealthy trees bearing corrupt fruit and deeds. So why does Jesus use these proverbs? It's really a proverbs about fruit trees. I want you to see something of uh, what a fruit tree would look like if he used that in this crowd today. They would see this fruit tree of grapes. Good fruit corresponds to healthy trees and deeds or character that conforms to the will of the Father. Bad fruit corresponds to unhealthy diseased trees and results in deeds of lawlessness. So in chapter 7, verse 23, Jesus uses terms, deeds of lawlessness, and that's the outcome of these false prophets. So I believe Jesus echoing a common, familiar parable that Jews would have known in Isaiah 5. 
It's a parable of the vineyard. I'll read it here. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes. This is the key. But it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So back in chapter, or verse 2 of that passage, verse 2 of Isaiah 5, it says, But it produced worthless ones. Some of your translations might say soured ones or worthless, but that doesn't quite fit what the Hebrew word actually is, which is bashim. Bashim, any Jew would have known that this was worthless garbage. It can't be tithed. And these grapes, as you see on the screen, would not be something you'd want. It would just vividly stand out in Jesus' crowd. They would see that and go, oh, these are not good group. This is not a good tree. It has to be cut down. Bushim, worthless ones, two times in that text. When uh, we were raising our boys, two or three of our boys did not like vegetables or fruit. And in fact, we had this joke in our house where we would hold up a green bean to my oldest son and he would run away. <laughs> and then next it was my, young, my youngest son, we'd hold up a strawberry and he would run away, literally run away like, and so we learned from the early kindergarten teachers that if you just say touch and taste, touch it and then taste it, then you might actually like it. So we'd say touch and taste. So if you saw this fruit, the diseased fruit, would you want to touch and taste it? Probably not. You'd run away just like my boys. <laughs> so that's what Jesus is doing when he grooves this, this proverb. Jesus is using agrarian language, the good tree, good fruit, may be related also believed to the Greek word telos, which is found in, and you've already went over this, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. In that passage, Jesus says, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Many believe that Jesus echoing Leviticus 19.2 that says, You are to be holy as I am holy. And most translations say perfect. And so we think of sinless perfection. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, I would say in the context, it's actually about God's love. Because if you look at the previous verses, he says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There's no discrimination. Jesus is saying that you are com to be complete, mature, perfect, and I would say ripe, like fruit. Greek professor Mounts, 
says, Telos, quote, is not the idea of ethical perfection in degrees, but rather a sense of undivided wholeness of heart before God, and this by promise of God. Your life is moving in the direction for which the Creator designed it to be. You're on the right track. You have a trajectory of faith and obedience. And Jesus is saying, walk in that. Mature. Grow. You are ripe, like the fruit. So now that we've gone through the waypoint of interpretation, let's go to the third point, application. In light of this passage, how will we live? Jesus' teaching here is ultimately about his authority and whether we will live in the Father's care and thrive in his kingdom. Jesus has no rivals. His authority is final. Therefore, we must be consumed with doing his will, and that's a thrust of the Sermon on the Mountain, to do the Father's will. And what is the Father's will? Two theologians, Ben Witherington III, professor at Ashbury, says, quote, the contrast is between doing God's will and not doing it. Even performing supernatural works is not certain evidence that one is in right relation with God. The Sermon on the Mount tells us that doing God's will has more to do with acts of charity, love, and self-sacrifice than showy confessions or spectacular deeds that draw attention to oneself. So doing God's will, I believe, from that is acts of charity, love, and self-sacrifice. Dr. Blomberg says, quote, don't substitute enthusiasm and the spectacular for unglamorous obedience in the midst of suffering. Unglamorous obedience in the midst of suffering. So three action points here. Beware. Jesus says beware. Typically we think of that sign on our fence. This is beware of dog or whatever. He's saying beware. Watch out. Use caution and accept the possibility that you could be misled or deceived. Since we're all boy family, um, there's, you may have heard of this curriculum by Dennis Rainey called Passport to Purity. Each one of my boys, we would go through that, that just one-on-one -on -one father time, taking them on a weekend, and we'd go through Passport to Purity. There's one exercise where Dennis Rainey describes this activity that parents do with their children. He says, you have them in a room, you blindfold the kids, parents are standing behind them, and the parents coach the kids to get to the other side of the room without going into traps. So there might be a desk there or something where they have to actually say, hey, Noah, turn right, go over there, left. And you, the point is, is that God, our Father, and our parents are helping us not go in those traps. And Jesus is doing that right here. He's saying, beware, beware of the traps. Get to the other side of the room. Watch out for this, watch out for that. Next action point, discern. Discern outside spiritual authorities by their undivided wholeness before God and others, and less on performing supernatural works or showy confessions. A man named Theo Johnson says, a way of us giving grace to others is to make everyone a five and not a 10. See, we typically want people way up here. We see them on a plane that they're not really there or they want us to see them that way, and actually giving them grace is making them a five. 
missionary Bible teacher Oswald Chambers, who uh, is responsible for the famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says to give two fruit tests. One test is a leader's lifestyle, and the other is doctrine or teaching, how they live out that. And the two should match. Now, is anyone perfect? Of course not. But it's interesting that our, our life should not be wolves and sheep, right? And the other aspect, and this leads into the other aspect, that we ourselves grow into good trees. Not by living compartmentalized or double lives, Instead, allow Jesus to cleanse and fill your heart and, that, and the fact that you need to embrace that he loves unglamorous obedience. For in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus saying repeatedly, pray in secret. Give in secret. And the only person seeing us is our Heavenly Father. As I was studying this text, I realized I have a personal connection to this text. If you go over to the, the bridge, the 92 bridge over here, and you look across the bay, you're going to see a place called Hayward. That's where I came to school. I left home. I'm from San Luis Obispo on the Central Coast, and I was the only one in my family to go to college away. All, all my, my brother and sister, they went to college nearby at Cal Poly. I found myself in a very personal and spiritual crisis related to our text. In fact, when I came to the dorm, the first people I met were those that said they loved me and said they loved Jesus and wanted to disciple me. And I realized after about a month, there's some, there's some problems here. There's some problems with what they teach and their lifestyle, and there's some problems in my heart. It's conflicted, but I wanted them to like me. It was some of the first people I met, Right? And I, I realized that, that there had to be a decision coming up, and it was very, very heartbreaking. I was in crisis. In fact, um, my own dad and my older brother of six years came up to me, and we didn't use these terminology back then, but you could say they were kind of helping me deprogram, helping me intervening, <laughs> and so forth. And I remember how frustrated it was because I had those connections, but, I, but this, the reality of it, this was a Christian cult. So... I had to make a decision, and this is where I started to love God's Word. I started to go to God Himself in secret and realize that I needed to obey Him, and I needed to um, be in a place that was safe. And in time, as the fruit was revealed, um, I got plugged into, uh, on the college campus, Campus Crusade for Christ. I got plugged into a healthy church, and it was good, but that's that's the crisis that I faced, and Jesus' words are so real to me about bewaring, beware of the false prophets and how thankful I am that God loved me enough to keep family in my life and, and speaking truth in my life. All right. Well, let us, Waypoint Church, draw near to the throne of grace in prayer. O oh, Father, how great is your heart of pursuit and protection for us, your beloved children. We heed your word to beware of the false authorities. We acknowledge that all true authority comes from you. Help us to discern their fruit. Keep us from deception as we enter the narrow gate. 
Examine our hearts and accomplish your will in and through us. Father, your righteousness and kingdom we seek. You have no rivals. We lay our crowns at your feet. Please enter into every boxed-off area of our lives. Fill us with your spirit that we may trust and obey you, the King of kings. Thank you for your word today. We have encountered you, Jesus, for we are your beloved. And now we pray as you taught your disciples to do in secret and now together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.